You are the God of everything, the Almighty One. And we thank you that we can, of our own free choice, that we can worship you just now. Thank you, God, for your presence, for your hope, for your power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Whew. Feel like you just need to take a breath. Um, welcome. We're we're glad that you're here. God is doing some just some really good stuff, and uh, neat stuff's going to happen today. Um, guys, guys, and gals are going to come down with the welcome books. If you would, um, we ask everybody to sign those today. It's uh, even though it's the third Sunday of the year. If you would today do something special, if you would put in your email address, even if you think that we have it. You know, even if uh, you get email from us all the time, if you would write down your email address, we want to try and update our records and make sure that we have the ability to, to put the word out on different kinds of things. Um, and if you can do that, that would be marvelous. Thanks for, for doing that, for taking care of that for us. Um, a number of people have asked today, have asked during this week, hey, you were gone last week. How was the elders retreat? Um, and I, just, I want to say just right off the top, um, to everybody who sent notes and everybody who prayed but didn't send notes, thanks so much for your prayers. We had a, we had a great weekend last weekend. It, um, it was not the kind of thing that we came home with a brand new vision and brand new initiatives and all that kind of stuff. It really was the kind of thing that you hope for and expect on a retreat, that you get away and, um, and God allows you to build relationships deeper it, uh, he allows you to, to just kind of do some evaluation and to say, okay, where is it that we've been? Where are we now? And, and where are we heading? And, um, and allows you to have the opportunity, the time to just worship together. And all that took place for us last weekend. We were at Lake Oligon. Um, a friend in North Point has a house there that was empty. And, um, and we were able to go and to just in the beauty of that place to look out and watch the snow fall on the lake and uh, and talk and dream and pray together. Really good. Thank you for praying for us. Please continue to pray. Uh, you know, we're not always on retreat, but um, I I want to just take the, the opportunity to say pray for the elders and pray for the staff of North Point. Um, we take very seriously the responsibility that we have to lead this this body and it, and it's a it's a big responsibility from God so so please do just continue to pray for us lift us up pray that um, that God would um, lead and guide us at each step uh, I want to tell you something that really cool that is going to happen on Saturday morning February 21st when I first learned about North Point uh, almost a year ago one of the things that I thought that's really cool was I, I heard about these uh, things that you guys did that, that, that was a part of the church, part, a part of the DNA, to be involved in serving and making a difference in the community, to make a difference in the world around us. On February 21st, we're going to do an all-church kind of event that we want you to be a part of. Our hope is that morning in about a two-hour time to pack 60,000 meals to go to Haiti to feed hungry people. Um, we think that that can happen. We're partnering with an organization called Lifeline Christian Mission. Um, they've got all of the equipment that we need to be able to do it. We've got a plan. We'll work in groups of six or 12 people. We've got a picture that will show you just a little bit of what it looks like. What, what will happen is we'll have um, 
We'll have these teams that work together and each team will have plastic bags and beans and rice and protein powder and some tasty stuff that goes in there. Um, and it will create this bag that will feed a family of six. Uh, it will pack those bags, put them in boxes. They'll ultimately go to a warehouse and then go on a container to Haiti to feed hungry people there. Uh, the cool thing about this particular project is anyone can do it. If you're uh, if you've got kids that are even as young as three or four years old, they can help do this. They can hold a plastic bag or maybe pour in some protein powder. Um, everything is pre-measured and, and ready to go. Um, if you're like not four, but one hundred and four, um, you can do it, too. Yeah, you can. We can set it up so you can sit and you can be a part of, of, of that. It's the kind of event we're, we're jazzed about because families can do it together. Life groups can do it together. Um, Feel free. You have permission to invite friends to come that don't come to North Point to be a part of it that day and to help pack those meals. Um, To feed one person as a part of this meal program cost 20 cents. 20 cents. With 20 cents, you can make a difference. Most people, most, uh, you know, everything is is kind of extrapolated out. But um, if you're here that day, in about two hours, you'll probably be able to pack about enough to feed 350 people, you individually. 350 people. And uh, so it's an incredible opportunity to make a difference. And know that if we don't have enough people, we won't be able to pack that many meals. Ultimately, those that those people won't get fed. They'll, they'll scour and scrounge um, and find something to eat in trash, typically. Uh, so it's, it's a great opportunity. Lifeline, as an organization, I know real well. Um, the, the cool thing is that they are a gospel-centered organization. The, the food won't just simply go out and be distributed. It will go out in the name of Jesus, and it will create an opportunity for them to tell the story of Jesus to the people in Haiti. Um, if you're uh, if you're coming and you're part of that um, uh, and you're able to help financially, this is not something that we really budgeted for, but it's something that we feel called to do. Um, if uh, you're able to, to give a gift that can help do that, if you want to pay for the meals that you'd pack, 30, 350 meals, 20 cents a meal, that'd be about $70. If you if if that's a good measure for you, you want to do that, if you want to write a check for big or small or any of that kind of thing. If you give electronically, um, if you just want to put a note on it that says food pack, that would be great. Um, it really is an incredibly cool time to get to know some folks from North Point to, um, to do something that will make a difference and um, to touch lives of people that you can't yet see. And uh, it's going to be great. Really, really excited about it. You, you can sign up um, even right now. You can do this covertly okay take out your smartphone go to the north point website um, and when you see the third serve logo come up press on that and uh, it'll give you the uh, the ability to sign up sign up for each person that's going to come so we know we need to be able to plan for numbers of people so uh, we'll be talking about that more um, in coming weeks today we start a brand new series of messages from the book of acts and the title for the series is bold the birth of the church um, when you read through the book of Acts, you have this description of what happened in the first century after Jesus ascended into heaven. And it, and it tells the story, the historical account of what happened um, in the first century as the church began to grow. 
As I was reading through the book of Acts and, and thinking, okay, what are the common themes? There are lots of different themes that are there, different lenses that you can look at. But the lens that we're going to spend our time in for the next couple or three months through the first nine chapters of the book of Acts in particular is this lens of boldness. One thing characterized the believers in Jesus, and that was that they were incredibly bold. That's going to permeate everything that we talk about each week. Um, we have uh, we have an, uh, uh, an exciting thing that's uh, being reintroduced today with this series um, on the tables in the back as you leave. There are study guides that you can take home with you if you're part of a life group. Um, and you're not sure what you want to study, uh, sermon-based curriculum is there. You can take those home, and that'll, that will structure your discussion in a, in a life group. Uh, if you're in a mentoring kind of relationship and want to do that, you can use that. Um, parents, it may be the kind of thing that can, that can create conversation for you with your kids out of, uh, um, out of the book of Acts on a weekly basis. And it may be that you, just individually you want to grab that. Um, and just use it as something to study with this week, to, uh, to make some notes on and to think about. Um, Brad Coco uh, has written that and is working on it uh, through the series, and it's going to be a great tool. I thank him for that. Boldness matters. Boldness makes a difference. Boldness changes history. You'll see that. As we study through the book of Acts, as we start with this tiny group of followers in a culture that was completely opposed to them, their boldness changed history. Early in the 5th century, there was a, there was a monk named Telemachus in, in the area that we now know as Turkey. Telemachus was not a, a, a well-known guy. He was just this guy who was kind of there in obscurity following Jesus um, living it out. And, and um, in his, just his daily life, he had this prompting from the Holy Spirit that he was supposed to go to Rome. And so Telemachus starts this journey and goes from Turkey to Rome. When he gets to Rome, crowds of people are moving through the city, and he just gets swallowed up in the crowd and finds himself seated in the Colosseum in Rome. All kinds of activity is going on there because what was happening in the Colosseum is what we think of in terms of the gladiator fights. We who are about to die salute you to Caesar. Um, Telemachus is there as a follower of Jesus who was not accustomed to this. He was appalled at what he saw. Warriors fighting each other to the death. Blood being spilled on the ground. Over and over again, as it happened, Telemachus sat there overwhelmed by what he saw and said, in the name of Jesus, stop. The crowd was so loud, nobody heard him. And, and so he began to, to shout, in the, in the name of Christ, stop. In the name of Christ, stop. But nobody paid attention. Telemachus came from his seat, went down, scaled the wall and went to the floor of the Colosseum where the gladiators were fighting. And with all of his might, he yelled, in the name of Christ, stop. He tried to get in between the gladiators. And, um, and what occurred is what, you, what we would think of occurs um, when somebody drunk usually, you know, runs down on the field in the middle of the game, streaker, whatever. Every, every, everybody's attention goes to this guy, sees what's going on. 
And the crowd initially is just is kind of laughing at this guy, wondering what's going on. And they hear him say, in the name of Christ, stop. The gladiators don't know what to do. They're in battle. They're fighting for their lives. But what happened is Telemachus went from being something interesting and a diversion to a distraction from the games. Telemachus was trying to stop the gladiators battle. And the crowd didn't know what to do with Telemachus. That's bold. If you think about it, if you think about what happens in in that um, one man in an arena surrounded by a group of people who are all in opposition to him, one man with a message standing and saying, in the name of Christ, stopped. Unarmed in the octagon while, while people are fighting to the death. That's bold. That's the picture of the church in the New Testament. That's the picture that we see In the beginning of Acts, this tiny group of people in a culture that's completely opposed to them. If you have your Bibles, take them out and turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts was written by a man named Luke. Luke actually wrote two of the longest books in the New Testament. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, a biography of Jesus, first person account of of Jesus. And he wrote the book of Acts, 28 chapters, uh, a history of the New Testament church through the first century. Uh, if you if you go home or if you look right now at the beginning of the book of Luke and the beginning of the book of Acts, you'll see language that's very similar. We know from Scripture, from from a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossia, that that Luke was a physician. Um, Colossians four says Luke, the physician, sends his greetings to the church there. Um, we know that he was a doctor. We know that he was meticulous about details. But there's language that connects those two two books in a powerful way. Um, uh, you'll, you'll see there the name Theophilus. And if, if you had any Greek um, in your history, um, you'll recognize some, some components of that. Theos, God, and Philos, love, lover. Um, the, the name Theophilus meant lover of God. And so there's some question when you, when you look at the, at the writings of Luke. Was Luke writing just in general to us today? Hey, lovers of God, here's the story of Jesus. Here's the story of the church. Or was he writing to a specific person? Um, I think that I think that the evidence kind of points to a real person that it, um, that it's possible Theophilus was somebody um, who was who was like a patron. He um, paid for the scroll. He paid for the copies to be made that would be dispersed throughout uh, Judea that would tell the story of Jesus, tell the story of the church in the first century. Acts chapter one starts this way. In, my, in the first book, Theophilus, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said, you've heard from me for John baptized with water, but you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. When they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. To the ends of the earth. 
And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I want to focus this morning on the bold plan of Jesus for his story, for his message, for his church to begin, for, for that to, to grow and cover the world. Uh, before I do that, I just want to do some foundational kind of things. It talks early in that passage about Jesus uh, appearing to the disciples, interacting with them over a period of 40 days. The scriptures actually describe 13 different encounters that Jesus has with people during that 40 day times, 13 different, either individuals or groups that he interacted with taught. Um, if you go to Luke 24, the end of Luke's gospel, um, it describes Jesus meeting with the 11 and, and them being surprised and them knowing not what to do, probably on the night that he was resurrected. And Jesus saying, hey, it's me. I'm flesh and blood and bones and sinew. Put your hand in the scars in my hand. Put your hands, touch my feet, touch my side. Do you have something to eat? It's important for us to understand and to get a hold of the fact that Jesus was physically resurrected from the dead. It wasn't, it wasn't Casper the friendly ghost, okay? It wasn't a spirit. It wasn't a hope. It wasn't a dream. Jesus physically came back to life in the body that had been crucified. Understand that that changes everything. No matter where you are, no matter what you're facing, if God has the ability to bring life into a dead body, into a perfect sacrifice, he can do anything. He brings hope. He brings perspective. Jesus interacts with the disciples and he tells them, hey, you guys wait in Jerusalem because the promise that you've been given is going to be fulfilled. He says, John baptized with water. John baptized for repentance. John baptized with water. But you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If you've lived in the church world, you've heard the phrase baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it gets kind of a, all kinds of different stuff in there. But here's the picture that I want to communicate to you today. It's important for us to understand as we, as we study through the book of Acts what the word baptism is really all about, what it describes, okay? Um, because practically we come from lots of different backgrounds. People were baptized when they were, you know, when they're babies, sprinkled um, water on the forehead kind of deal, that kind of thing. What's interesting is in the Greek language, the word baptism, baptize, uh, the Greek word is baptizo, what it really means is to be immersed. If they had translated the word, they would have used the word immerse. Here's the picture of baptism, okay? Trusty, dusty poker chip, all right? It's a Christian poker chip, incidentally. Um, it really is. It's, it's, it's from a church. Um, if, I'm, if, if I'm going to baptize this poker chip, okay, in the, from the Greek perspective, perspective, the language that was written, it's not to just... Do that. It's not to do that. It's this. This is the picture. All right. To be fully immersed in the water. That's the picture that's there in the Greek word 
baptism. Um, Now, that's important for us because when when we understand that John baptized with water for for repentance, but you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Let me pull this out, okay? My fingers there. Um, Some of us try and live with this kind of baptism of the Holy Spirit, right? I'm wet, but I'm here. I'm on the outside doing my own thing, and I'm close to the water. But I'm missing that whole concept of being filled completely, immersed, completely doused, every part of me surrounded by the Holy Spirit. That's the picture that Jesus says is going to happen to the disciples. They're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, why is it that we think so many different things, really short history lesson in you know, a minute or less? Basically, by the Middle Ages, what had happened in the church is that they had begun to do things differently for convenience. You know, it's not really a practical thing to be baptized in Lansing on January 15th outside, right? You've got to break through the ice, do the polar plunge thing. Not real practical. So they they began to adopt, you know what, we're not really going to do the immersion thing. We're just going to pour water. We're going to dip. We're going to do all those kind of things. That's the status of the church in the Middle Ages. So when they begin to translate the scriptures into English... They've got a problem because if they translate the word, they're going to translate it immerse. Okay, be immersed by the Holy Spirit. All right. That wasn't what they were doing. And so they what they did was they transliterated the word baptizo and created an English word baptize baptism. They did that because their practice didn't match what scripture taught. There's a lesson in there for us somewhere. Lots of times our practice, the way that we live, doesn't match Scripture, and we explain Scripture away. We come up with a different way to do stuff, and that's never a good path. Okay, We miss the fullness of what God has for us. Jesus says, hang in Jerusalem. John baptized with, the, with water. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Hang out and see what happens. And the disciples respond and say, okay, God, or okay, Jesus, we get this. So when the Holy Spirit comes, when that promise gets fulfilled, is the kingdom going to be restored in the way that we anticipated? You know, the, the, the throne of David, is that going to happen? Think about this for a second. These guys spent three years with Jesus, right? Listening to him teach every day, day in, day out. They saw him crucified. They saw him after the crucifixion, come back to life. They, were, they touched his hands. They ate with him. And they're still thinking, oh, there's going to be this kingdom. Somebody's going to sit on a throne. It's going to be like the good old days. Is that when it's going to happen? And Jesus very kindly, I think, says to them, you know what? It's not for you to know the times or seasons. That's not something you have to worry about. God's got it all under control He didn't chastise them. He was gentle with them and just kind of refocused them and brought them back around. Um, But then Jesus ultimately delivers the plan, the plan um, that's the bold plan. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That's the plan of Jesus For the church. There is no plan B. There is no backup. It's that we would be witnesses 
of Jesus. There are, I think, five aspects I just want to touch on kind of real quickly this morning that that are part of that plan. The first is this, the power to be a witness of Jesus. The power comes from the Holy Spirit. Most of us, if if I were to pull that poker chip out again and do it, most of us try and think, uh, you know, when we talk about being witnesses, we get kind of the heebie-jeebies, right? It's like, "Ah, what do I say? What do I do? Um, Most of us try and do that on our own. We live with the poker chip outside of the water. The power to live for Jesus comes not from ourselves, but from the Holy Spirit. It comes because God comes in and fills us up, surrounds us. That's the source of the power. Don't miss miss that. Jesus said, um, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The second piece um, I, I put up there, we inevitably get in trouble when we try and live on our own power. Right? Anybody amen to that? Yeah. Um, power from the Holy the, the powers from the Holy Spirit. The timing is determined by God. God is the one who said, here's when the Holy Spirit's coming. Jesus, 40 days, he's teaching, interacting with the disciples. He says, hang out in Jerusalem. I'm heading to heaven. Verse 11, you know, he, he, he goes up. Um, and for 10 days, we'll talk more about that in the next few weeks. For 10 days, they're just hanging out. What do we do? I don't know. Jesus said, wait, the timing was God's. Um, And the reason I point that out is that the timing for us to be witnesses is God's timing, not our own. Sometimes we try and manufacture that, right? We we try and go out and say, oh, I'm going to go share my faith today and go do it. And we do it on our own power. We miss God's timing. The parenthesis I put up there. God's timing may be more aggressive than yours most of the time for most of us. I think we think, yeah, I want to be a witness for God. God, you provide the opportunity for me. And a day goes by and a week goes by and a month goes by and a year goes by. And we think, you know, I don't know that I've really ever talked about what Jesus has done in my life. God's timing is probably a lot more aggressive than ours. And we're just missing it. God provides the timing for us. We need to recognize that. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Third thing, and this is this is the heart of it. We need to be a witness for Jesus. We need to. Uh, what what's that mean? It means to just simply be able to tell what you've seen, what you've heard, and what you've experienced. Most of us worry when we when we start to talk about talking about our relationship with God. We think in American culture, oh, that's a private thing. We keep faith separate from everything else. You know what? All you're doing is talking about what God has done in your life, how he has changed you. That's what it means to be a witness. You don't have to have the answers for everything. You don't have to know where every book in the Bible is. You don't have to be able to explain every deep theological issue. All you need to do is is to be able to say, you know what? I was a mess. I was a mess and God came in and saved me and changed everything. You know what? I, I didn't there. I had no hope. I didn't know how I was going to go on. And God and God's love came in and changed everything. Tell what you've seen, what you've heard, what you've experienced about the power of God. Fourth piece is that we start with the culture that we know. Jesus said you'll be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. God's going to send it. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. Let me just talk about those four areas. I, Jerusalem was the city where they were. That's right where they were. That's the culture that they understood. For us, that's probably like DeWitt, St. John's, Langsburg. That's, that's 
right where you're planted right now, that concept, that will be witnesses there. Judea was the region that surrounded Jerusalem. For us, it's probably like Michigan, maybe the Great Lakes area, northern U.S., something like that. There's this concept that it's we get the culture. We don't know everything that's going on all the way around us. But in that culture, there'll be opportunity for us to be witnesses for Jesus. Samaria was a different kind of a deal. Samaria was a region that was next to Judea. It was populated by people who were half Jewish and half Gentile. They, um, in their history, they had um, intermarried with people who were not Jewish, and as a result, they had been shunned by the Jews. There was tremendous racial tension and, um, uh, and discrimination, racism on both sides between the Samaritans and the Jews. For us, when we think about Samaria, for me, I think that means people that I that I understand the way that they think, I think, but are very different than me. When I think about Samaria for me, I think about um, maybe inner city. You know, there are people that live not very far away, but have a completely different mindset. They may look like me. They may have some things in common with me, but they're radically different in terms of how they view the world. People that are hard for me to love. I think that's our Samaria. Ends of the earth is... Just what it says, the ends of the earth. The crazy thing is in the first century, the ends of the earth meant commitment and separation from every visible means of support, from emotional support, from family support, from um, uh, from anything. When you went to the ends of the earth, you were going off on your own. In the first century, to go on a journey to the ends of the earth meant uh, a, uh, a journey on a ship that would last weeks or months to take you as far away as as they were aware. If you're going to go on land, it was it was going to be a journey that would last months or years to get you there. It was not the kind of thing that you could just come home quickly. I I mentioned uh, I had a conversation with Karis Petrak uh, about a week ago. She talked about going to Africa last year to serve for a year. You know, she flew to the other side of the world, the ends of the earth kind of thing. But it took her 20 hours you know, in less than a day, she was there. In less than a day, she was back. That was not the case in the first century. The ends of the earth meant going without any support, with any um, lifelines, without anything that, that could rescue you and bring you home. God calls us sometimes to be that kind of a witness. The last piece, let me just share is this, that I think there's something very intentional and strategic in terms of being a witness for Jesus. When I was studying this week, I, I had a thought that... I, Never occurred to me before. The 11 apostles that were still around were all from Galilee. They were not from Judea. They were not from Jerusalem. Why is it that Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth? Why didn't Jesus say, you'll be my witnesses in Galilee? When you go home to fish, to reconnect with the people that I've taught for two and a half years, Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's where you are, Judea. I think, I think part of it was that Jesus was being very strategic in his bold plan for the gospel to cover the world. We can invest in a witness in the UP. But in lots of small towns in the UP, it's not going to have the impact that it is for the gospel to be vibrant and alive in a city in a capital, and in, in, um, throughout the world. Um, this coming Saturday, uh, Eric Longoria 
and I fly out of Lansing and head to Honduras for a trip that's going to live out this thing in a different kind of way. We're going to Honduras to, to, um, to work with uh, preachers from Honduras and El Salvador. And this whole idea of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth is being lived out in Honduras for the, in the next week for us. There, we're, we're going to have an opportunity to work with preachers um, in small churches, house churches, some, some larger churches there in San Pedro Sula, which is the second largest city in Honduras. It's Jerusalem. We're also going to have a chance to go into the mountains south, southwest of San Pedro Sula, a place called Merendon, um, and, to, and to work with some churches there. We're going to have a chance to go to an orphanage in a, in a small town called Omoa that's on the north coast uh, there on the Caribbean. Um, and, and, and that is that sense of Judea. It's not right there in the city. It's an expansion beyond that. Ultimately, later in the week, we're going to have a chance to go to Tegucigalpa, the capital of Honduras. It's on the other side of the country. Not much happens but on the north and the south end together because of, of just the way the country is. For them, they've got this concept of Samaria, the ends of the earth. Where is it that we go? One of the things that I'm most jazzed about this trip, um, I, I met a missionary 25 years ago um, in 1990 named Madonna Burgett Spratt. And um, and I'm I'm just looking forward to seeing her again. I haven't seen her for about 20 years. This is Madonna in the in the blue skirt that's there. Madonna's story is this: she was trained as a nurse. She was a follower of Jesus, and when she finished her nurse's training, she had a sense of call, a nudge from the Holy Spirit to go to Zimbabwe to be a missionary. Um, she left her family and her friends behind. She was a single lady, and um, and um, went to Zimbabwe in the late 1950s. And served as a missionary there in a medical clinic, taking care of people's physical needs so that they could, so that they could have their spiritual needs met as well. For almost 20 years, Madonna's in Zimbabwe, and, and about 20 years in, she has this sense of prompting from the Holy Spirit. You know what? I got another place for you to go. I want you to go to India. She didn't know people in India. She didn't know. She was at that point fluent in Swahili. She didn't know the language, but she picked up, left everything, single woman and moved from Zimbabwe to India. For 20 years, she, she served the poorest of the poor, did uh, medical work in India, sharing the gospel of Jesus in that context. And late in life, at a point in time that most people are beginning to think about retirement, Madonna's in her uh, late 50s at that point in time. The Holy Spirit nudges again and says, got a new place for you to go. I want you to go to Honduras. And she moved to Honduras 20 years almost in Zimbabwe, 20 years almost in India. And in, in uh, 1988, 1989, 90, somewhere in there, she moves to Honduras, learn a new language, Spanish, begin to communicate, taking care of the physical needs of people so that she can share the love of Jesus with them. In, in, in my mind, Madonna's in the Missionary Hall of Fame. You know, she's an incredible woman. Um, she's now in her mid-80s. Um, she married John, the guy standing beside her, when she was in her late 60s. It was the first time she got married. Um, and they're, they're partners in ministry in Honduras um, in this little remote village, still in her 80s, doing medical clinic several times a week, taking care of people's physical needs so that she can take care uh, of their spiritual needs. God's plan for us is a bold one. There is no other plan except to be powered by the Holy Spirit 
and to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. God has a bold plan for you. God has a bold plan for North Point, and there is no second plan. That plan is not, it's not to build a building. That plan is not to wear Christian t-shirts. That plan is not to be for or against political or cultural or even religious causes. That plan is not to have just simply great worship inside these walls, to have close friendships inside the church. It's to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. To be witnesses to tell what we've seen and heard and experienced. My hope, my plan, was to go through my entire message this morning without an Ohio State reference. (laughs) That was your hope too, right? Um, But I can't, but that's right. I, I can't miss the... I can't miss the opportunity right now because the application is too clear. It's too vivid. It's easy for me to talk about Ohio State any moment of the day at the drop of a bucket right now, right? You know, I can go to a restaurant. I can have a conversation about Ohio State. Um, I, I can go to the gas station. I can total stranger people I know. You guys, it's easy for me to talk about Ohio State. Why? Because I watched every game. Because I stayed up until 1.30 Monday night watching the post-game show. Because every day this week I've looked on Flipboard and, and in the media stuff for stories about Urban Meyer and Cardell Jones and um, uh, Braxton Miller and T.J. Barrett. That's been a part of my thinking all the time, right? Um, I look for the fingerprints of Ohio State at every turn. Why? Because Ohio State won the national championship. No, think about it for a second. They are the best team in the country this year. They did it. They're victorious. Do you see where I'm going with that? The whole, no, 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 no. Stay with me. You guys are tough. You're missing the good stuff. Here's the deal. God has won. Jesus has won. It should be a no-brainer for that to just spill out from, from us. That we're seeing God work at every turn. At every corner we can see the fingerprints of God. It should be the most natural thing in the world for us to just talk about what we've seen, what, we, what we've heard, what we've experienced. If you're not seeing God at work in your life, one of two things is true. Either you're not noticing the fingerprints of God. You're just missing it. You're distracted, whatever. Or maybe you're playing for the wrong team. And, that, and, and that's a sobering reality. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. It's a bold plan that could change the world. Telemachus, when he's on the floor of the Colosseum with the gladiators engaged in battle, um, 
the historians tell us one thing that happened, but there's a there's another story that goes by. As Telemachus said, in the name of Christ, stop. The crowd turned on him. What they thought as a distraction and and as a fun thing initially began to get on their nerves because he was stopping the games. And what the historians tell us is that the crowd took rocks and began to throw them at Telemachus. And that Telemachus was stoned to death on the floor of the Colosseum in the middle of the games. Some others tell the story and believe that a gladiator stuck him with a sword. It doesn't really matter. As Telemachus died, he was speaking the words, in the name of Christ, stop. That's bold. That's the call for us to the point of death to live that out. What's crazy is when Telemachus died and they took his body out, the games continued. The gladiators continued to fight. But when people went home that night, the conversation around Rome was not about the gladiators. It really was about that guy that was on the floor that said, in the name of Christ, stop. His boldness created this sense of turmoil in the city. And within a few days, the emperor of Rome said, you know what? No more. History tells us that the games in the Colosseum stopped within days after Telemachus scaled the wall and said, in the name of Christ, stop. Boldness changes history. God has called us by the power of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to be bold witnesses of what he is doing in our lives and what he's done. Acts is really kind of the sequel to the book of Luke. And in reality, it's almost like it's the second installment in the trilogy. We're kind of living out the Hunger Games because we're the, we're the end of the trilogy, but we're the cliffhanger stage, right? You know, there's another story that's, that's coming back, then another story that's coming when Jesus returns as, as he left. At that point, everything will be done. But at this stage, we have the opportunity, the ability to live out that boldness. Um, here's how we're going to finish the service. Eric, Eric, come on up. This is Eric Longoria. Um, he is heading to Honduras with me. And I want to invite you, if, you, if you're so inclined, to, uh, to come up and just put hands on, on Eric and I. Uh, Jeff Rouse is going to voice a prayer for us, just a prayer of protection, a prayer that God would use us. If you want to be a part of that, you guys uh, come on down. Um, we're going to sing after that. And, and I invite you as we sing to ask God to fill you with boldness, to be bold witnesses for Jesus in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Father God, I just uh, I thank you for these men. I thank you for uh, giving them the heart to to want to serve you, to want to go to the ends of the earth. Lord, I just thank you for uh, for Madonna and uh, John putting them in the position where they are, and Lord, for uh, to give Rick the heart to uh, want to go and support them and to uh, to just uh, renew some uh, old relationships. But Lord, I just pray that. Uh, 
that you would prepare these men, give them the, um, the words to, to speak to, uh, of the hope that they have in you. Mm-hmm. And Lord, uh, help them to be bold. Yeah. Help them to be, uh, to be your servants, to be your witnesses. And to, uh, Lord, they wouldn't go if they feared man. So, Lord, I just pray that uh, you will open doors and you will uh, prepare the hearts of the, of the people that they are going to come into contact with on this trip. And, Lord, I just pray that, uh, that you will be with them and uh, they don't have to worry about what to say because your word says they'll, your spirit will give them the words. So, Lord, I thank you for them. I thank you for Eric. I thank you for Rick. And I just uh, I pray for this trip. And I just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.